stories. What is it? Stories that you didn't learn in Sunday school? Is that or stories of something about Sunday school and stories? Oh, stories they don't tell you in Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> which is a bit of a misnomer because, especially for today's story, because I loved this story. Um, I tell this story as much as I can when I teach Sunday school. Um, I love taking those like weird stories um, from the Bible and, and telling them in Sunday school because they're weird and kids love it. So today is no different. We're going to talk about a, uh, a story that is a little bit different. Um, one that you probably know or probably have heard, but maybe not. And if you haven't, it's, it's going to be interesting, kind of a wild ride. Um, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2. So if you have Bibles, uh, you want to kind of follow along the story of where we are, it will be in 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, there's a ton of verses that are somewhat repetitive uh, in this story, so we're actually not going to do a whole lot of, of reading from it. But if you'd like to read the story and like to see the story, 2 Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to be. <clears throat> but it's got one of the strangest stories, I think, from the entire Bible. It's a story about the passing of authority from the prophet Elijah to his protege, Elisha. <laughs> uh, and I will do my best not to get the two mixed up today as we talk about the, <laughs> the lesson. Elijah was a prominent prophet in the Old Testament in this time period. Uh, Chosen by God to deliver God's message to anybody who would listen. And Elisha was the guy who was sort of next in line to be that prophet, to be, to be the one chosen by God to bring the message, uh, to the people. So the first portion of chapter 2, verses 1 through 18 or so, record the last moments of Elijah before he is taken up into heaven. Now, that's a story that we probably all remember. If you've been around the Bible, if you've grown up around in church, you've probably heard that story countless times, where Elijah was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. <laughs> what a way to go. So Elijah, one of only a handful of recorded people in the Bible who didn't actually die at the end of their life. He was just taken up which is kind of interesting. So this this first 18 verses or so, and like I said, they're kind of repetitive, so we won't go over all of them, but um, we can see here that Elijah was walking around to different cities doing his prophet thing, preaching about who God was and what God did and, and all of that good stuff. And Elisha was following him around. And Elijah would kept, kept saying, hey, uh, you've come with me this far. I love it. I think it's great. But you can stay here if you want. And each time Elijah said that to Elisha, Elisha said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with you. I'm, the, I'm with you the whole way. You see, Elisha understood the importance of what Elijah was doing. He understood the importance of what it meant to be called by God to do a specific purpose for a specific reason. And Elisha was not going to throw that opportunity away. I'm going to kind of spoil the message for you a little bit right now. Uh, in my notes, the, the sort of big idea, the application, the point of today's message is respecting our elders. Which 
That's a good lesson to have. Don't get me wrong. I think we should respect those who are above us in spiritual authority because that's the right thing to do. And when we talk about Elijah and Elisha, there's a definite credence for that being the point of this message today. <clears throat> but I would actually like to shift that message. The, the point of today's message, I think, would be this. God can get your attention in any way he sees fit. And we're going to see just what that means here in a few minutes. But I want you all to think with me about that point. God will bring things into your life that will seem crazy, with a capital K. But those are opportunities that God can use to get our attention. So let's, let's kind of continue on here. Elijah is walking around to all these different cities. He's going to uh, Bethel and Gilgal and Jericho. And he's hitting all these cities. And each time, he says, man, Elisha, you can stay here. It's fine. You can, you can just hang out here in this place. And he says, no, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm with you the whole way. But we drop down to verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. It says, Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now there's some uh, important significance about that question and, and response. You see, when Elijah was going to pass the torch, so to speak, onto Elisha, Elijah wanted to know what it was that he could do for him to set him up for success. Now, it was typical and customary in this time period for the firstborn of a father to receive a double portion of the inheritance. Lucky me, I'm the firstborn. <laughs> but as my dad really kindly reminds me um, a double portion of zero is still zero. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but in that, in that time period, whatever the father had, whatever the father owned, as he was reaching the end of his life, he would dole out inheritances to his children and the firstborn would get a double portion because the firstborn was, well, the firstborn was the firstborn. There's something special about that. And so Elisha's response to Elijah's question is similar to what a firstborn son would ask of their father. Elijah, you have power and influence, and I ask for a double portion. Now, in this specific instance, that was not Elijah's to give. And so look at his response in verse 10. He said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. I wonder if Elijah knew what was going to happen at the end of his time here on earth. But he says to Elisha, if you see me go, that's what you'll get. You'll get a double portion. But he makes sure to let Elisha know that he's asked for something difficult. 
And I don't think that what he means is what you're asking for is hard to give. But I think instead what Elijah is telling Elisha is, are you really ready for this? Are you really ready to do the job that God has called you to do? Verse 11, Then it came about as they were going along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven. (laughs) That was it. They're just walking along. Bam, here's some chariots. Fall on fire. Whirlwind up to heaven. And Elijah's gone. Except for his cloak. We'll get to that. Elisha was so torn up about it that he ripped his clothes in half, which is, you know, it's a typical response, I suppose, of somebody who's grief-stricken. But then Elisha pulled himself together. And it says that he took the mantle of Elijah, he took his cloak, and he began to do the work that Elijah had started before him. Elisha continued on doing the stuff that he was called to do because he knew and he understood the importance of doing this work. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Elijah had set up some schools of teaching. They were like um, student prophets, basically. But Elijah, as he would go to these towns, would set up these little schools of learning. These students um, all over the place. And after Elijah left, Elisha took up that responsibility of making sure that these students were learning everything that they were supposed to do. So we saw through verses 9 through 15, there in those uh, in that chapter 2, uh, that Elisha was asking for the double portion, the authority, the power that Elijah had. The Elijah is taken up, his cloak is left behind, and that's symbolic of Elisha taking on the teacher's role. And that happened in front of some of the students of those schools that he had set up. And we see that in verse 15, that uh, where it says the sons of the prophets, and that means that's talking about those students that, in that school that we had set up, were at Jericho opposite him and saw him. And they saw the spirit of Elijah rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Now, there were, give or take 50 students or so, unsure of what had happened to Elijah, and they decide to go looking for the senior prophet, Elijah. I mean, he wasn't there. He was, they weren't going to find him. But they decide, because they're confused about the whole situation, about where he had gone, to go looking for him. But Elisha, of course, is opposed to this idea, searching for Elijah, but they persist until he is embarrassed. And we see this in verse 17 when it says, they urged him until he was ashamed and he said, sin. They sent therefore 50 men and they searched three days but did not find him. So the students were like, we don't understand where he went. We want to go looking for him. And Elisha's like, you don't need to look for him. (laughs) Trust me. You don't need to look for him. He's not there. You're not going to find him. But they persisted and kept saying 
terrible things until the point that Elisha said, you know what, just go. Look, go look. After three days, they couldn't find him. And I kind of wonder how that went. Have you ever had, do you remember being in school and having a substitute teacher? <laughs> I've actually done this. When I was in, uh, when we lived in Missouri and I was um, youth minister at a church in Missouri, we, um, as a part of what I did for the church, I decided that it might be a cool idea um, to do substitute teaching at the school. It would be an opportunity to get around students more and stuff like that. So, uh, so I did. I would substitute teach at the high school and the elementary, and it was fun. Um, the high school was vastly harder than the elementary school. Um, not because um, not because substitute teaching is all that difficult, but it's really the students. Because students treat a substitute teacher differently than the regular teacher. Do you remember doing that? I was not one of those students. I promise. <laughs> I really wasn't. I didn't care enough to act out. So, <laughs> But when I was doing substitute teaching, yeah, Tyler's pointing at himself. That's accurate. Um, when, <laughs> when I did substitute teaching, because of the work that I had done with students through... Um, doing church work, I knew all the tricks. Because students act out when I taught in church all the time. <laughs> so I knew the little things that they were doing to kind of make it a little bit challenging for the sub. And that's okay. I get it. So sometimes I would play along. I would let them do their thing. But then sometimes I would just call them out on it. And that was super fun. Because then they would get embarrassed and I don't know, I probably sent people in home in tears sometimes. But, but you remember those moments uh, from your life, I'm sure, when there was a substitute teacher and subs are just treated differently. And this, that really sort of correlates to what we're talking about here. You see, these students were not treating Elisha as the new prophet, as the new teacher. Elijah had passed on that torch. He had passed on that mantle. And Elisha was ready to take it on. But the students, the students didn't understand. I said, nah, man, where's, where's, where's the real teacher? <laughs> yeah, you're not it. Where's, where's the real guy? Where's sure I can find Is he on a lunch break? We're going to go find him. Three days. After the first day, I would have been like, yeah, I don't think he's here. <laughs> Three days they looked. So, when Elisha walks near the city of Bethel, okay, one of the cities that Elijah had frequented, his students were well aware of this. Here's where the story gets really interesting. Several of the boys, the students from these schools, come out and they start taunting Elisha. Which, if you've ever been a substitute teacher, or if you've ever experienced a substitute teacher, you can maybe understand what's happening right here. Because these guys got a little... Well, they just thought that Elisha wasn't the real deal. So they start taunting him. They, they start saying stuff like, Get out of here, baldy. I mean, real hard stuff. (laughs) 
We see this in verse 23. It says, Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as we were going up, by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up. Interesting. You see, <clears throat> they'd heard the story by now. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. And so these young lads come out and start talking to Elisha. They're like, wow, if you're so high and mighty, if you're the next teacher, why don't you go up in a chariot of fire? And then they just threw the baldy thing in there for spite, probably. You get out! Go up! If you're so powerful, if you're the next teacher, do it. Let's see it. Get out of here. Go up. mocking what happened to Elijah without the seeing of prophet and no proof of what happened to him the respect level was low something had to take place to quiet the naysayers and establish Elisha as the new prophet I'm telling you it's getting crazy I hope you're ready Let's, let's just read verse 24, and then we'll, we'll go from there. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. It's important. Two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. Okay, hang on. So Elijah goes up in a chariot of fire. It's a cool thing. Elisha then takes up the mantle. He starts doing the teaching thing, but people don't believe him. He tells the story, yo, Elijah went up in this chariot of fire, and so the young lads of the community came out, and they're like, man, if you're so high and mighty, if you're so powerful, if you're this new teacher, why don't you go up too, baldy? And then Elisha... Elisha calls down bears? <laughs> he calls down some bears... Now, notice that it doesn't say that the bears killed the boys, which I think is an important distinction to make. But it beat them up pretty bad. <laughs> he called down bears. They tore up 42 of those 50 kids. And I think this is an important lesson for us to learn. I don't think God's going to call down bears on you. Maybe that there are, maybe there are things in life that make you feel like you've been attacked. Maybe there are things that happen to you in your life that make you feel like you're on the edge of it all. You see, God can get our attention in a wide variety of ways. Oh, sure. Sometimes it's as quiet as a whisper. But I think that there are other times in life when things will hit you like a truck. And those are good opportunities for us to see God in those moments. You see, what I think we can learn is that God can use unusual circumstances to teach the lesson that He is in control. Which is a good distinction for us to remember that while Elisha said the curse and Elisha initiated the attack of bears on these kids, it was God working through him doing this. 
Because even tragedies can be used to show God's sovereignty. A really good example of this. In September of 2001, churches saw a brief but noticeable increase in attendance. Redeemer Church, led by Timothy Keller, saw their attendance almost double the following Sunday. We may not understand why certain things happen or why God allows it, but we can trust that He knows what He's doing. There will be moments in life where there is a call to action. And if we ignore the call, if we flat out don't hear the call, God will get our attention somehow. The bear attack also teaches us about Authority. Up until that point, Elisha's students questioned him and gave more respect to his teacher, Elijah. But after the attack, Elisha went forward as the unquestioned prophet of God. Well, I hope so. Don't question Elisha. He's going to send bears on you. A teacher sometimes has to have a substitute. We out, sometimes we just take advantage of that substitute knowing that they don't have the same authority. But throughout the Bible, we're told to submit and respect authority over us, even if we think that they're not qualified. (laughs) Which is a... It's a hard thing for us to do and learn, I think. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 13. Way back in the New Testament. Hebrews. Oh gosh, come on, pages. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 say this. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. You see, sometimes God will get our attention in quiet ways. Sometimes God will get our attention in ways that we don't expect. And sometimes God will get us our our attention with loud and tragic events. And all throughout each one of those types of ways that God can reach out to us, there's an opportunity for us to come together as people learning. Now, this isn't a message about how good or much better one of us is over another. Because at the end of the day, we are all sinners who are seeking out a Savior. But what I think the main point of this lesson is, while sure, respecting those who are in spiritual authority is a really good lesson, Just as pastors submit to elders and as 
congregants to elders and pastors. I think the main point of this story for me is that we have got to be listening. To be model kingdom citizens, we should respect those who are in charge, sure. Respecting authority isn't really based on whether we like people or not. It's not always easy because those are in authorities are not always easy to get along with. There's plenty of examples that we can use from the workplace. I know I have bosses that I don't particularly care for. But that doesn't really matter. <laughs> if I don't like bosses, I can either get another job or suck it up and do the work that I'm supposed to do. But even more so, and even going farther than respecting those who are in authority over us, God is ready God is trying to get our attention. God is trying to reach out to us and bring us into a better knowledge of who He is. And that's going to happen in a number of different ways. But one of one thing I can promise you is that God is calling. Without a doubt in my mind, I can know for 100% fact and say this with confidence that God is calling you. And it's time that we let excuses die away. It's time that we let our own inhibitions fall to the wayside. It is not about how old you are or what gifts you have, how much money you have or don't. God is calling you to a specific purpose. God is reaching out to you to have you do something greater than yourself for His kingdom. And it's going to happen in a number of different ways. We've already talked about it. It's going to be a whisper or it's going to be a tragic event. But either way, no matter how it happens, the message is the same. God wants you. And if it happens quietly or loud, the end result is still the same. You have been called. You have been chosen. Will you answer that call? I can tell you from personal experience, if you ignore the call, it gets louder. If you ignore it, God will get your attention somehow. Answer the call today. Father, as we look at your scripture and see these kind of incredible stories about things that we maybe didn't talk about in Sunday school, especially stories like this, 
that have such a, a seemingly violent connotation to it. God, the point of this message is not bears attacking, but it's that you have issued a call. You have issued a call for us to come into a specific purpose, to live a type of life that is sold out for you. One that's not afraid to talk about you to our friends and our co-workers and maybe our family. One that is dedicated to living a life different than the world says we ought to live. God, our prayer today is that we would stop ignoring the call. It doesn't matter where we are in life. The call is the same. You've called us to you. And if that's leaving everything behind to go preach for you, if that's doing something drastically different, forgetting about the habitual sin that we've got in our life, whatever that call is, God, you've called us to a higher purpose. Help us to see and answer that call. Elisha was ready. Elijah before him was ready. Make us ready. We ask this in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing.